reading this morning from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our, trans, in, dead in our trans, trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Thank you, Bruce, for reading. A lot of people see Christianity as kind of one way to live your life. A lot of people view the Bible as kind of a, a rule book for life. It might give you some guidance and pointers on, on how to organize and how to like, live for something important. A lot of how-tos. But we know an instruction manual or a YouTube clip that shows us how to do something is very different, very different from breaking news, very different from an announcement that something amazing or something terrible has happened. So the Bible does tell us how to live. It certainly gives us many instructions on that. But at its core, the Bible is an announcement of what God has done, not first and foremost what we're supposed to do. As a matter of fact, I would love if we would view the Bible more and more as one big story of grace. Because that's really what it's meant to tell us. It's, a me- it's meant to tell us how God shows his grace. And when it comes to understanding grace better, God doesn't just give us one way of looking at it. As a matter of fact, he takes his grace and, and in his word, he has us look at his grace from many different angles. He gives us several word pictures. So we've, if you're just joining us this week, we've gone through a series and we've called it Snapshots of Grace. And each week we've looked at a different word picture, a different way God talks about his grace. And, and you can even see some of the icons and some of the images there. We've looked at grace over the last few weeks from several, several different angles. So one of those angles was the courtroom where we heard God declare us Through his grace, in Jesus Christ, we heard him declare us not guilty. No condemnation. The Bible has a word for this, justification. We also looked at another angle of grace, not just in the courtroom, but kind of in the setting between people who used to be friends, but a relationship was broken. Now you can see those hands joined together because God has done what we could not do on our own. 
but by his grace in Christ Jesus. He's reconciled us. So you read in scripture the word reconciliation, God making us friends when we were enemies. We've seen another snapshot of grace. And that is how God takes us and brings us into his family through his grace. And where once we were not a part of his family, he makes us sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about the the word picture, the imagery of what it means to be enslaved to something, what it means to be enslaved to our sin. We saw the word picture that God gives us, the, the words he uses to say, you've been set free, you have freedom, you have redemption, you're no longer enslaved to sin. This is by God's grace, not by our effort, not because we deserved it. It comes to us through Jesus. For today's snapshot of grace, I want us to us to focus our attention on the images of death and life, because that's yet another way that God speaks of his grace, that we have been made alive. This snapshot of grace going from death to life can be so meaningful to us for lots of reasons, one of which, one of which is, for most of us, we can relate to what it means to have someone that we love deeply pass away. So death has touched down in our lives. So this particular picture is meaningful because of that. This picture also, though, can bring us to a place of pain because death has touched down in our lives. And sometimes when that happens, I might say often when that happens, we have more questions than answers. We're left dealing with disappointment and pain and grief. And sometimes that doesn't last like till the end of the week or the end of the month or even the end of the year. I mean, sometimes this is decades this goes on, dealing with loss and dealing with death. And I want, I want to go there this morning. I want to go to the subject of death and life because I think even in the pain of death, God can show us his grace. When you think of death, so much of it seems just so unpredictable. You really don't know what course our lives can take. And I I don't mean to be morbid at all, but I think we've all started out a year and really by the time we got to February or April or July or October, we didn't anticipate what the year may hold. And sometimes life and death is hanging in the balance of that given year. So there might be a lot that's unpredictable about death, but But as I've thought about it, and as I've experienced what it's like to lose people that are are very close, I think death often brings loss. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a, a, a Christian to understand how death brings loss. How many times do you hear someone when they're trying to give a word of encouragement, a word of comfort, say something like this, I, I'm so sorry for your loss. And sometimes that's actually the best thing, the the exact right thing to say in that moment. It describes so well what you're experiencing. It's hard to, it's really hard to describe, but there's something like it was here and now I don't have it anymore. It's gone. It's gone. I've lost it. There's a vacuum. There's a hole that doesn't seem like it's going to be replaced. We might even say something like, you know, so-and-so has gone to a better place. And, and I think a lot of us have an idea of what that might mean, but what we're also saying by that is they've gone to a better place and that place isn't here. 
and we miss them here. And there's nothing that can quite replace that. Death brings loss, but death also brings finality. And again, you don't have to be a Christian or identify with Christianity to know how final death feels. It definitely feels like the end, and there really isn't anything else. I think one of the reasons death hurts so much is the real sense in which it just cuts off future conversations, where it just seems to cut off future questions that you might even like to ask. It cuts off some interactions. It just seems so final. You go to a cemetery, and you see, you see a birth date, and then you see the date of death. And there's something that speaks pretty, pretty loudly there of that date is when it seems so final. That's part of the sting of death. Wanting to have more, but yet it's coming to grips with even grief is realizing that in this life, some things are just final. Death brings loss and it brings finality, but it also brings change. I've definitely found that. I'm guessing many of you have as well. My main issue with that change is often it's just very unwelcome. I didn't want that change. Oh, there's some things that I'd be glad that they would change. There's some things that you'd say, if this could just go on forever and ever and ever, if we could just like press pause right here or at least just kind of live in this stage, this would be enough. I just, I I want this and I don't want that kind of change. And yet the change comes. What once was is no longer. And you find yourself making decisions that you really didn't care to make. And we're not okay with that moment by moment. Don't get me wrong, you do move forward. But you move forward with a whole lot of change. And things just look significantly different. And day by day, I'm not sure you ever get over when death hits you like really, really close. I'm, I'm positive you don't get over. You do have to learn how to work through it all. I realize on this particular Sunday, like I'm starting in a place that's dark. And I, I, I do that intentionally. I do that intentionally to make sure we are looking at some of the most difficult, painful things straight in the face to make sure that we're, we're not playing around, we're not playing games, we're, we're understanding, I'm acknowledging how much physical death leaves you with loss and memories and pain and change and seemingly no future with that person. And I start there because I deeply believe with everything in me this morning that the light of the truth shines so brightly against this dark, dark backdrop that the truth of the grace that Jesus Christ can bring and the grace that he offers to bring stands in such stark contrast to the pain of death we feel. Because we feel rightfully, this is not a wrong thing we feel, we feel rightfully that when death comes, like, we're meant for more than that. We're meant for more than funerals. More than, we're meant for more than cemeteries. We're meant for more than just tears and, and final goodbyes. We're meant for more than that. Something is not right here. And and I want to tell you, hold that thought. Hold that thought. Because we don't need philosophical gimmicks and we don't need fairyland stories that we just concoct in our mind to help us cope. We need something real, not something imagined. When you're a pastor, you end up kind of walking this road of seeing life and death. So even this past week, in a hospital making some visits over at Christiana Hospital. 
And I can't tell you how many of my hospital visits end with me kind of in the elevator by myself just sighing because yet another person is feeling some of the beginning stages of where this story might go. And it hurts. Or you walk into a funeral home and there are tears. And even, even when you know, like, I'm glad they're not suffering anymore, there's still tears and pain. How do we process that? How do we process that for real? What we have to realize is that while a lot of death is such a shock to us, none of it comes as a shock to God. I think one of the places I go is that since Adam, death has been a reality for everybody who's ever lived. Since like our first forefather. So Romans 5 says it this way. Romans 5 says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and that is Adam, and death through sin... So death spread to all men because all sinned. When I read that verse, there's an interesting connection because it, is, it feels like we're talking about physical death, all of what I've just talked about, but it also seems like there's something spiritual, a spiritual dimension to death as well. So it's not just physical. The issues of sin are, are being talked about. And this connection from the beginning, death is connected with sin. And this death comes because of sin. Our bodies, over time, are going to show on the outside what is going on on the inside. We can't, like, separate body and and spirit and soul. Even if the body is really healthy now, hearts beating, lungs are pumping, we know that that will not go on forever. We know that. We know that. We also know that on the outside, things may look great, but there could be something even inside of us causing us to feel the effects of living in a broken world. And there's a connection that's made in Scripture, and that is physically you know all that, and spiritually you need to know that as well. As a matter of fact, the way Ephesians talks about it, Bruce read it a moment ago, Ephesians 2 says, you were dead. Paul's not talking to people that are physically in the grave. He's talking to people at the church in Ephesus. Much like an assembly that would be gathered here today. And he says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We carried out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath. Oh yeah, alive physically, breathing, yes, but spiritually Dead. So you begin to work through those words of death, the things that death brings, and, and you can start right there with loss. And so we talked about like physical loss, death brings physical loss, but death brings spiritual loss as well. So as you work through those words, you recognize we were meant to enjoy the world that God has created, meant to enjoy fellowship with God, but we've lost that. We've not just lost that something physically, we've lost something spiritually. We were meant to live with a clean conscience. We were meant to live with peace and contentment, yet we don't. Instead, the world, the flesh, and the devil, according to Ephesians 2, just kind of layer upon layer, means we live with the sense of loss. We can even climb to the top. We can get our dream job. Everything in the family can be just as we wanted it. We can make more money than we ever expected to make. And it still doesn't quite click. We can try to give back. We can try to pay it forward. We can try to do all these things to just kind of settle ourselves in life, like I'm making a difference here. 
and still it doesn't click. We feel lost. We feel like I'm missing something. Later on in Ephesians 4, it says, apart from Christ, we're alienated from the very life of God. We've lost something. We're missing something. I believe God's hardwired us to feel that loss. Not just physically, but spiritually. We said that death brings loss, but death also brings some finality. When Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers, it was as if he was saying, your state in and of yourself was not going to change. You were dead. And spiritually, there's some finality to that as well. So you weren't going to kind of climb the ladder of self-improvement. That was not going to happen. You weren't going to like have, find out a mantra that if you chanted it enough, could change your life. That was not going to happen. You weren't going to find 12 rules to live your life by and somehow work your way out of being dead spiritually. That was not going to happen. The effects of sin are too deep. And your physical body even tells you, like, I'm not, I'm not going to get out of this alive. Romans 6 says, the wages of sin is death. Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed to man once to die. Death is an appointment. This is fixed, so I think, boy, I'm living now. But even that life is on borrowed time. Spiritual death is not just about loss and not just about finality, but it's also about change. Adam and Eve experienced that. From the moment they sinned physically, they were, they were set to die, but spiritually, they, lots of things changed from them. This world that was ideal and perfect now goes to this world that's chaotic and messed up and broken. There's, there's an idea of how we think life is going to go, and that's why Proverbs two times says, there's a way that seems right to us. But the way where that's going, that way that seems so right, actually ends in death. What a change of expectations. These two things are closely connected, physical death, spiritual death. They're different, but they're definitely connected. So what do we do about that? just as we feel like we're, we're meant for more than physical death, we also feel like I'm meant for more than just to die spiritually. I'm meant for more than this. What can we do? What can change our condition? Who or what can make us alive when we're dead? So it'll be of no surprise today that when I say help arrives in our spiritually dead condition the connection that scripture is going to make, that the only help we could get to help us in our spiritually dead condition is going to be Jesus Christ and more specifically, his resurrection. Jesus coming alive. God arrives, help is on the scene in Christ Jesus. And this is the way Ephesians 2, again, Bruce read this earlier, but I want to go back to it. Ephesians 2, 4 says, this was your condition. You were dead in trespasses and sins. But listen, God, who's rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God made us alive. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, even in the ages to come. 
God's going to show his immeasurable grace to us. Those who believe in Jesus Christ are united to him. And God, who is the author of life, makes dead people come alive. God, who is the author of life, makes dead people come alive. This happened through the resurrection of Jesus. And we're united to him. It's so interesting as I'm watching sports. And if you enjoy watching sports, like the bigger the event, the more this seems to play out. When you're watching and some amazing play happens or some amazing shot is hit, inevitably what's going to follow probably in the next 10 minutes is a replay and then another replay and then another replay. And then they're going to go to this angle and show another replay of it. If this is like the game was on the line or the match was on the line and that shot was hit, that, that goal was scored... Then we're going to come and look at it from this angle. And then, and then we're going to like freeze frame and we're going to go to s- detailed slow-mo and see like every bit of this play that changed everything. And, 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 then, and then maybe the, the analyst or, or the, the color commentator is going to go, Here, here's what happened and they're going to use their telestrator and draw what's going on. Or, or there's going to be some amazing graphic that someone in the, in the van came up with or in the truck that, that shows this amazing shot from, from an angle you didn't expect to see it. And again and again. I mean, this will go on for minutes. As I was reading this week, as I was looking up some of the references in preparing for this sermon, the New Testament is like a replay again and again and again of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every one of the writers can't seem to stop talking about it. They want to go back to this particular moment when Christ rose from the dead and they want to say, look at this. They would want to correct any idea we have of like, well, this is like our one Sunday of the year where we talk about the resurrection of Jesus. They would say, no, no, no. This is like every day where you talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Do you need another replay? And so when you read almost every book of the Bible in the New Testament, you're going to read about the resurrection of Jesus. I I want you to see this. If you'll indulge me for a moment, I'm just going to give you a a sample of the way Each writer goes about it. Listen to to John in John chapter 5. This is Jesus speaking. It says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, Jesus says, So the Son gives life to whom he will. Romans 6 and verse 5. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 1 Corinthians 6, 14. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. 1 Corinthians 15, 21, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Colossians 2, you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Over and over and over again. Jesus is risen. You will rise too. If you're united with him. Jesus is risen. You will rise too. Making sure you and I never think this is some, some sort of plot that Marvel or Pixar imagined. To just tell this fantastic story. 
No, actually, the resurrection account gets like right to earth, doesn't it? Literally. Jesus meets people and talks to people. There are places and their names. There are historical references. We're not asked to believe as some gullible people, some fanciful myth. It probably never happened, but it kind of gives you some motivation to live a little better. That's not what's going on. History is recorded that a man named Jesus died. And history is recorded this unexplainable event that that man who had died showed himself to other people alive. There were eyewitnesses. You see, this is, this is like the good news. This is the cornerstone of our faith. Jesus is alive. We always knew we were made for more. We always knew that there must be more. And Jesus opens up the gates to be with him forever. And those who believe in him, those who are united with him, go through those gates and the awful effects of death are reversed. Jesus is alive and we are made alive with him. Everything is being rewritten because death doesn't have the final word for Jesus. And I think about just exactly how it's rewritten. So we looked at those words associated with death and and we looked at the word loss, but then I recognized, okay, loss is actually being rewritten into hope and restoration. All the ugliness of sin and death and loss is being rewritten. That's why chapters like 1 Corinthians 15, a long, long chapter, talks about a glorified real existence. It says that, no, it's not that you're going to be some sort of uh, reincarnated form uh, of this, that, or the other. It's not that you're going to float on a cloud someday. You will have a, a real body, a glorified body. And everything that had been lost is restored. We need to know that. We need to know that because this world takes away a lot. This world causes us to lose a lot. So all you have to do is think through heart disease or neonatal intensive care, or all you have to think about is this world of sex slaves and lies and slander and racism and prejudice and greed and poverty. All you have to do is think of this world that takes with cancer and with Alzheimer's. There's life and there's restoration. Everything is being made new because of the new life in Christ. This is what happens when life shows up, things get restored. When Jesus rises from the dead, it's so interesting. He talks to people. He restores a relationship with Peter. He restores a relationship with his disciples. Instead of loss, there's hope. Instead of finality, there's eternity. Instead of finality, there's eternity. That's why scripture talks about eternal life or everlasting life regularly. Not even death is permanent. So again, I go back to a a cemetery where I'm looking at the date, someone that I loved, the date they passed from this life. And it's very real. And none of that changes the the hurt and the pain of that day. But I also realized, ah, that's not final. If they're in Christ, that's not final. It, it, It doesn't have that kind of power. It's not that permanent. There's something more. And that finality is replaced with eternity that goes on and on and there is no end to eternal life. So that date is actually swallowed up in victory. And it means a a lot less than it might have meant if death was final. We talked about death 
bringing change, but with Christ, with his resurrection, that change is actually for the better. That actually is for the better. In this life, we have things that are temporal, but they're, they're eternal. In this life, we have things that are vulnerable. We want to hang on to them, but, but we can't. In that, everything is secure. In this life, things are partial, then it's complete. In this life, things are always tainted by sin. And there, it's perfect righteousness. Revelation 21 presents like this new heaven and new earth. And interesting, when Jesus rises from the dead, he comes back to this earth. He doesn't just go up and like make a, a star constellation or a cross constellation and like we could just look up and see, oh, I think Jesus is up there. He, he shows himself on earth. I think it's a taste of a new heavens, a new earth that he will remake. Things have changed because of Jesus. So we get promises like this. He will wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. When God wanted you, I can be very specific today, when God wanted you to understand his grace, one of the pictures he used, one of the realities he called your attention to is this matter of death and life. A lot of people try to make the world a better place. A lot of people try to make a dent in the universe. A a lot of people are, are, are trying their best to leave the world a little better than they found it. And all that's noble. But all of that is just good intentions at best. What we've heard today is one person who actually came into this world in flesh and changed reality. And actually changed our lives for eternity. And after all of this that he's done, after all the power that he's shown, and not only him being raised from the dead, but raising us with him, I want you to listen closely to what Jesus says you and I should do about this. How you and I should think about this. So John chapter 524, this is what Jesus says. And I'll leave with a couple words of his today. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, Jesus speaking, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment, but it's passed from death to life. And finally, one more. John 11 Jesus speaking to Martha after her brother had died, says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And here's the question I want to leave us with. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? If you haven't before, it's today the day you say, there are a lot of things. I don't have all the answers, but I, 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 I believe or I, I want to believe. Can someone talk to me more? Could someone pray with me? Could someone help me? The answer to all those questions is yes, but you need to answer for yourself. I can't answer for you. Do you believe 
that Christ is risen from the dead and in him you have life as well. Can I pray for us? Oh Lord, help us as we think about that very, very important question today. We have a lot on our mind, probably a lot's going on this afternoon. I can't imagine anything more important than thinking through, do I believe this? And for the person that has question marks, is unsure of their answer, I pray that you would give them a person to talk to, or, or maybe they would, would speak to a person with a name tag or, or, or a pastor or some friend that brought them and walk out of here with that more settled than when they walked in. Father, I thank you for the, the snapshot of grace we see and that you took us from death and you have given us life. We praise you, Lord. All glory to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen.